What is going on, guys? We are here today with Nick Rosenbeck, who is one of our Instant Investor members. And we are doing a deal case study on what is actually his very first deal. And it is a very interesting one with how it all came together. So I'll let Nick share the details specifically for the deal itself. But I guess for some context, Nick is doing this deal in a rural town in New Mexico, all the way from Paris. So it's all done virtually which comes with its own challenges, but I'll let him dive into that as well. But uh, the deal came with, you know, definitely some some hoops that you had to jump through. So excited to hear about this one. So if this is your first time here, how these deal case studies work is we're going to do a deep dive into a real deal from somebody that is within our community. And uh, we're going to ask the same questions in every single episode so that we can, you know, get a good view about how exactly things transpired. So Nick, first off, I appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, still over there in Europe doing stuff. And you came and hung out with me in uh, Lisbon not too long ago. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it was Um, fun. But uh, yeah, awesome, man. So excited to dive into this deal. So first off, let's start with what kind of property was this? Yeah, this is a single family. Regular is like three, two, just under 1600 square feet in the suburbs, basically. In the suburbs of a small town, which I think that's like the entire town. They don't really have like (laughs) suburbs, suburbs. Yeah. Cool. Single family, center square feet, three, two, nothing too fancy. Nope. How did you find this deal? Yeah, this was a direct mail lead. So he just pretty much called in and was ready to sell at a discount. Tired landlord, out of state, accidental, just kind of like what we look for typically. Easy enough. So that kind of goes in the next one of what kind of seller was this? So you said it was a landlord. They were motivated. Had they owned this property for a while, I'm guessing? Yeah, they moved into it, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and then moved to Texas from New Mexico. They had no prior landlording experience, so they just rented out to a family friend. And then there was recently a storm in the area, and that was just kind of like the last straw. And he was just tired of it, wanted to get rid of it, and didn't really care. He just wanted a bit of money in the bank. So Cool. Easy enough. That's that's kind of bread and butter, what we look for. I like it. Awesome. So let's go into the full story of the deal. So we know how you found it. We know what the person looked like. Let's go into the ups and downs and everything in between. Acquisition side, like I said, super easy. Um, it was like two phone calls and we we're under contract pretty much. And then once we we're under contract, things got a little bit weird. Him being an out-of-state landlord, he was under the impression that the home was still fine after the storm because it's brick and pretty solid. Mm-hmm. But what we found out after getting pictures was that the roof needed to be replaced. And so we're like, oh, fine, let's just have the uh, the insurance take care of it. Little did I know, I mean, I don't own any properties myself, but there's insurance deductibles. So that kind of came up and it went under the rug for a little bit. And then like a week later, he asked about it. Um, he's like, so you guys gonna reimburse me for this? And that got a little bit awkward because... It was a pretty slim deal for me. I guess your exit strategy on this was to wholesale it, right? Yeah, it was to wholesale, yeah. What was that process like before we get into the deductible conversation? Okay. About finding the buyer, going through all that? Because I know you definitely had some challenges with that end as well, especially being virtual in a small town as a kind of town where there's like a couple of old guys that own the entire town. So you kind of need to weed through that. So let's dive into that process a little bit. Before locking this up, I only really had one buyer and he kind of got wiped out by the storm. So that was my only option there. So I had to do a whole bunch of cold reach out to people. I ended up finding one of those guys that has whatever, 200 properties in the area. 
he initially wasn't interested. So I kept calling around property managers, realtors, everything. And then I just kind of like kept following up with him. And eventually he was okay with purchasing once he realized that the roof was getting replaced by insurance. But it ended up (laughs) coming to his offer was pretty much going to be what I had it under contract for. And so he was willing to come up a little bit from that uh, just to give me a little bit of room. And then from there, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, It did take longer than I was expecting though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to to find that buyer, and that's always an important thing that people need to realize is there's this old adage. I don't know. It's kind of like boomer logic with real estate where they say, if you have a good deal, the money will find you, which is just honestly bullshit. Like these days, you need to search for it. Even if you have like the sickest deal in the world, everyone's going to have completely subjective views about it. And this one was a little bit tight, admittedly, but I remember mm-hmm. talking to you about this because you had to manually follow up with all these people before you got someone on the hook because you're ready to yeah. drop it for a little while. Yeah, I literally, I was like ready to, I was like, well, we got super close, but I guess we're getting on the next one. Uh, but yeah. yeah, took your advice and did some more follow up and finally got this guy to move forward on it. So cool. So then it was moving forward. And then the whole conversation about the insurance premium came up. Mm-hmm. And so I guess from what you said about that, he wanted to get reimbursed for it. You didn't really have a lot of room in your fee. Gonna can't ask the buyer for it. So I, I don't even actually know what the outcome of that was. It ended up being actually over text. And I think the if I remember correctly, the seller had had followed up with me on that. And I was just like, look, here's the here's the situation. Um, when we had agreed to the price, we were under the impression that the roof was still in good condition because that's what you had shared with us after we had it under contract. That's when we did the inspection and found out that it wasn't in good condition and that the buyer wouldn't be able to get, likely wouldn't be able to get insurance on the property if it wasn't fixed. So for that reason, you know, the price is assuming that the roof is in good condition. And that was enough to, didn't hear anything about it since then, really. I mean, and I think that's a great lesson in general, right? Because he was willing to just eat that cost. He's making his money on the sale of the house. And it's such a funny thing I find with new investors where you'll have these sellers that come back and ask for these like little concessions because, you know, they're going to try and get as much as they can out of you. And when you're newer and you're kind of desperate to get that first deal across, people say yes, like all the time. Yep. You know, or just like, and this is one of the problems that I have with some of like the creative financing folks that teach stuff out there is they're like, oh, you know, if you're $10,000 off on your price with the seller, just like wrap the $10,000 into like a second position mortgage. And I was just like, or you just, you know, work some sales tax to get them down 10 grand instead of trying to line up this second position with 0% interest or whatever other bullshit, you know? Yeah. People are always gonna, I mean, it's a sales conversation, right? People are going to ask for things back and that's just kind of part of the gig. So, yeah, you know, good for you for being able to hold on to that because I know it was a small deal in general and that probably would have made it almost nothing for you if you'd had to pay the deductible as well. I would have paid $600 to do my first wholesale deal. <laughs> Close to deal. <laughs> I definitely don't do that. But so, okay. So you ended up ultimately getting it closed. And uh, yeah, I guess, what was the uh, the end result? How much did you make on this one? I made uh, $2,000. There you go. Hey, yep. you, at yep. le- you at least got the like initial Band-Aid ripped off on your first one though. Yep, got a crest finish line. And you fought for it too. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that's always just a big thing to point out is when you have your first deal, and you have to kind of battle for it. It just builds toughness as you get into more stuff, you know? Like, honestly, I've, I've we've had people who've worked with in the past or that I've seen in like other groups 
the, like their first deal is like a $50,000 fee where they don't have to do anything for it. And they're just like, yeah, I'm like the coolest person in the room. Yeah. And then their business just freaking sucks because they didn't learn. They never took their licks to get there. Right. They were really given like the trust fund at the start yep. and they didn't have to like earn their first little bit of money. So it sets you up pretty well. You're paid for the education. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I'm not can't really complain. I'm a firm believer that you get paid in like compensate and direct portion to how much value you provide. And at this point, I'm still learning how to provide lots of value. So I'm, yeah. I really can't complain about it. I absolutely agree with you with wholesaling being the exception to that the hardest deals are always the least fruitful. Like we have had ones where we have spent months working with the seller with all this sort of BS. And then sure enough, we get to the finish line. I'm like, great, we just made five grand on that. Wasn't even worth it. (laughs) You know, I love other ones where like we talked to the guy, I'm like, yeah, we'll give you 300,000 for the house, you know, for the triplex, whatever it is. And they're like, cool, send the PSA. And then we assign it for like 350. And we're like, well, that was easy, (laughs) you know? That's kind of the challenge with the business is that there is a lot of luck involved, unfortunately, just being in the right place at the right time. So what's next for you? I know you got some some more stuff that you're working on down there. Do you feel more confident going into more deals now that you have gotten your first transaction done? You kind of know the process. You have a few buyers lined up. Yeah. Something that was a really nice piece of this coming together is that at the day after I got it assigned, I had multiple buyers calling me back I'm like, hey, I heard about this property that you have. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, sorry, I already sold it. So training buyers, especially in a market where really nobody's wholesaling, mm-hmm. the first one may be a little bit rough, but I know that next time a deal comes up, I'll have multiple people that that know, hey, we need to act on this quick or else he's going to sell to somebody else. Yep, exactly. And that's a big reason too that I always recommend that even if you are selling something, something kind of like, back pocket to somebody, still advertise it because it shows, you know, action in your business and it will make people want to respond and and work with you more. So, um, awesome. Well, Nick, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this deal, man. And congrats on the first one, even though it wasn't, you know, a home run. It was kind of like a, I don't know, infield first base hit. It's all right. (laughs) So still, still a little bit of money, recover some capital. Um, If people wanted to uh, to reach out to you and maybe hear about how you've done some of the virtual stuff, what's the best way to do that? Currently, I don't really have anything other than my phone number, which I probably won't give out. <laughs> yeah, cool. Just uh, follow follow me on social media at Mike underscore invest. And then you can uh, scroll back a couple, couple months and you can see a picture of Nick and me in Lisbon. And uh, if you want to connect with Nick and hear about how he is, you know, starting up his wholesaling business while living abroad and doing different things, I guess you just have to join the Instant Investor Program. So... Um, awesome. Nick, man, well, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And guys, I hope that you enjoyed this little deep dive into Nick's deal. They're not all home runs, but it's also hard to go broke when you're making money. And this is just part of the game. So please go and share this episode with anyone who has any interest in real estate investing, or, you know, just want to know what a hustler's mindset looks like when it comes to doing business, because that's what we dive into on these deal. What do we call this? The uh, deal case studies. I was going to say deal deep dive. I go back to bigger pockets, but that's their thing. But uh, shout out to everyone, guys. The greatest way to help us grow. And we appreciate you all. And we'll talk to you next week.